Matthew chapter 21, if you have your Bible. Matthew 21. This morning, again, uh, I want to welcome you out. Believe in God for some great things this morning. Uh, I'm going to use a NFL illustration this morning. Uh, if you are not an NFL fan, and I know there are some that are not, let me just tell you, it is about the halfway point of the season right now. There's 17 games in the season with one bye week, and we're entering week eight, so people, or week nine, so uh, most teams are playing about half their t- games now. And there's a number of teams that are not doing well. One of them is my personal favorite, but uh, the New England Patriots, but there's numbers that are not Denver. Broncos are not doing well. And a term is reemerged in the media, and it's called tanking. It's a deliberate move to make players and put in rookies and give them a chance knowing that they're not going to win in order to get a good draft pick. This came out of the terminology back in the 2019 season from Miami Dolphins, the tank for Tua is what they called it. Tua, uh, who is a Pentecostal Christian, by the way, he actually did a press conference a number of weeks ago and he said, you see me on the sidelines talking to myself, I'm not talking, I'm praying in tongues and the worst part of playing NFL football is I missed church on Sunday and it was a tremendous interview. And as a New England fan and many of you as Buffalo fans, you have a hard time liking Miami, but it's, but he's a good guy anyway. In 2019, the season was described as the Dolphins would put a wreck of a team on the field and lose a lot in order to gain the number one draft pick in the 2020 season, Tuataya Tungabiola was the number one quarterback coming out. He was an All-American from Alabama. He actually played with Mac Jones and, uh, and, and uh, is it Jason Hurts, I think it is, or uh, Jalen Hurts, thank you, uh, who's, who was in the Super Bowl last year. They, the three of them played together in Alabama. Their thought was... If we lose, we win. Now, right now, and don't look this up on your phones, please, but right now, uh, Miami is actually playing Kansas City in Germany. The game is on right now. Many believe, and uh, again, I'm sorry to the Buffalo fans, but many believe that is a prelude to the AFC Championship game. Two of the three probably most contending teams for that. They decided losing would mean winning. And this has become controversial. And again, I don't want to get into all the NFL issues, but, uh, you know, Denver just fired, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Las Vegas just fired everybody, coach, general manager, benched their quarterback. Many believe they're tanking for better draft picks. And the article that I was reading said this is probably not good for the NFL. But it is good in spiritual terms. To lose means you can win. I want to look with you at surrendering to victory. 
Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 18. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road. And he went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear figs again. And immediately the tree withered up. The disciples, when they saw this, uh, the disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? And Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. When Jesus returned to the temple, he began to teach the leading priests and elders came to him. They demanded, by what authority are you, uh, are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? I tell you, by what authority I do these things? If you answer one question, Jesus replied, Did John, speaking of John the Baptist, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? And they talked among themselves and they, uh, if we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think about this? A man had two, uh, two sons, uh, an older boy, uh, son, uh, I'm sorry, a man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out in the work in the vineyard. And he answered, no, I won't go. But after, but later he changed his mind and he went away. The father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will go. But he did. He didn't go. Which of the two obeyed the father? They replied the first. Jesus explaining the meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. I want to talk to you firstly about the problem with many people is they want life on their terms. That's the problem many religious people focus on. Jesus is talking here to chief leaders and religious people. And as he's dealing with them, he's being, he's saying uh, this, and you notice Jesus talked a lot to the Pharisees. And the reason he talked a lot to the Pharisees And the Sadducees is they were the religious mind of the day. And the danger is that you and I can fall into that religious mindset. We can fall into thinking that as long as we put an outward appearance of Christianity on, we're doing okay. As long as it looks good. As long as we can check the appropriate boxes that we think establish Christianity. 
These are people who started with a very genuine desire. I don't believe uh, that many of them went in simply because it was a career decision or simply because it looked good uh, on a resume or a college application. They did this because they actually wanted God. They had a desire to have a relationship with God. But through time, they simply began to put their emphasis on the outward rather than the inward. And they come to Jesus with an attitude here that now they're missing God. You can miss God and still have and think you're checking all the boxes. I do this. I did this. We have the parable of the Pharisee who begins to pray. And he says, Lord, I thank you that I have fasted twice a week, paid tithes of all that I have. I never miss prayer, never miss sinner. I'm, I can check the boxes. And the sinner, the public, the tax collector that bows his head, Jesus says, that man left justified more than the one who is bringing all the boxes that they check. Because it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue that Jesus is dealing with here in our text. This can be seen in the simple question, who has authority? Who has authority? Verse 23 of our text, Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching the lead priests and the elders. And they came to a demanding, by what authority do you do all these things? Who gave you the right? The question of authority is fundamental. Who has authority in your life? Who has the right to tell you what is right and wrong? Because their issue to Jesus was you weren't playing by our rules. You didn't come and do what we wanted you to do. Matthew 11, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, 16 through 19. Jesus says, how can I compare this generation? He says, the problem is, it's like children in the public square. And he mentions two games that they would play. He says, they complained to their friends. We played the wedding song and you didn't dance. We played the funeral song and you didn't mourn. Now, it's very interesting he picks those two out because most of us associate weddings and funerals with church. Usually there's some kind of service. Not always, I understand that, but... Usually, there's a church involved in those. So he picks those. He says, John comes. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He, you know, he's wearing wild clothes. He's got a wild, outrageous diet. Doesn't drink alcohol. You guys said he's a devil. I come. You call him. Jesus says, I come. I eat. I drink. And you call me a wine, a drunkard, and a glutton. He says, because wisdom is seen through your own eyes. See, this is the ancient battle of the human heart. 
who will be in control? All the trees of the garden you may eat freely, but one tree don't eat. And what happens? That's the one tree they ate. They ate of that before they ate of the tree of life. Had they eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever. Who's going to be in control? But beyond that, we want to control God. Both in the Old Testament, you read of two men. One, of course, is a man named Jacob. He's in the lineage of Abraham and Isaac. He's the son of Isaac, the the man whose name is changed later to Israel and becomes the father of Israel or the father of the sons of Israel. And that's how that nation got its name and has reclaimed that name to this day. And there's another man named Manoah. And they both ask the angel. They both have an encounter with the angel of the Lord and I'm not going to get into all the theology behind this, but that is an encounter with God Himself. Many call that a theophany or a Christophany, which means that it's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And they both have an encounter with Him, and they both ask the angel the same term. What is your name? Now, that's not just a friendly greeting. If we meet people, we ask, what's your name? Or Joshua asks, whose side are you on? But when they ask the name of the angel, what they're trying to do is if you knew a God's name, you could then control the God. That's what they believe. So if I can know who you are, if I can know your name, I can control you to do what you want for me. This is the prosperity gospel of our day. That God just wants to make you rich and happy. That's all Christianity, that's all it's for, is just for you to be rich and happy. So many people, when they encounter God, the struggle is, who is going to be in control. They re- many are reluctant to surrender because if they do, they fear what will happen. This is what happens to the religious people. They, Jesus asked them the question, you want to know what authority I do this? You answer me this. Who did John's, John the Baptist's authority come from? Verse 21 uh, 25 rather than 26 of Matthew 21. Well, if we say it's from God, from heaven, he'll ask us why we didn't obey it. And if we say it's from man, the crowd will get upset because they know he was a prophet. And This is a dilemma. Okay, we don't know. Fear stops many people from making a decision. We're going to have a baptism. I can't tell you how many people have been stopped from getting baptized because of fear. Now, raise your hand. How many of you in the last, oh, I don't know, week took a bath or a shower? I hope everybody raises their hand. Were you standing outside your shower going... 
it's wet in there. It's just water. Nothing special about it. It's going to make you clean. You're happy about it. Great. And the little pool we got in that, it's just water. That's all it is. H2O. But they understand there's a spiritual significance. Baptism doesn't save you. There's some, there's one particular group they teach that you, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Well, the tragic reality of that is many people, like the thief on the cross, they, Jesus didn't stop the whole crucifixion and go, oh, we got to go down to the Jordan for just a couple of minutes. Would you guys mind just hold our space right here? While we, right? They didn't get baptized. But Jesus does say in Mark chapter 16 that he that believes and is baptized will be saved. There's an ongoing, or literally, the issue of baptism is identification not sanctification, identification, and surrender. That's why it's so fought against. And fear is such a powerful motivator. I'm afraid of if I really surrender to God, what is He going to require from me? Can He be trusted? Didn't he bring, you know, the children of Israel? He brought us out here to kill us. If I serve God, I'll be miserable. I've heard this. I'll miss out. Oh, I'll lose out. I won't get to do the things I want to do. Dallas Willard, famous author, Christian author made an interesting observation. He said, The Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than it is on lives. I'm afraid of what people think. I'm afraid what will my family say? Friends, classmates, workmates. If I get serious, how is this going to play out? Jesus said, uh, or Luke 9, 59, another person came to Jesus and Jesus said, come and follow me. And the man argued, said, Lord, let me first go home and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord... I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying that we can't go to our parents' funerals or visit our family over the holidays. These were influential. They, let me bury the dead literally means let me secure my future first, my inheritance. Then I'll follow you. Let me take care of things. Let me make sure everybody's in line. Jesus said, who's, who's authority? Who's the one in charge? The cost of, on our terms, with God is horrible. Terms with God are not negotiable. Serving God is not negotiable. We're not driving the bargain. 
Matthew 20, Jesus tells the parable of the workers in the field. And the first workers that came when he hired them in the morning, he agreed to pay them a normal day's wage. He sent them out. They knew what it was, but later what happens is the master keeps hiring. He hires people at, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning. He hires people at noon. He hires people at three. He hires people at four. And five o'clock comes and he lines them up. He's going to pay them. And he starts with the ones who started at four o'clock and he pays them a full day's wage. By the time that the people who had come up who got hired at nine, they said, Lord, we worked all day in the heat of the day. We're getting the same as the guys who worked an hour. They want to negotiate. But this is what they agreed to. People want to negotiate with God. They think if they click a few boxes, put in enough time, They can get a pass or they get a special privilege. I've been serving God for X amount of years. I should get, I know I just committed adultery, but hey, I should get a pass on that. It's not the way it works. You never, you know, my father, who ironically died in a car accident, had actually gotten a a pin from the insurance company for 10 years of perfect driving and then ironic again ironically enough about 200 yards from where he would have his fatal car accident he had a car accident the next day he got a pin did great but you know the next day he had a car accident no more pins are coming right insurance goes up all those kinds of things happen See, we try to make contracts with God to, to tell God how we want Him to be. Our text shows us the lack of surrender has a tremendous cost. Our text tells us, first of all, there's a lack of, of fruitfulness, of blessing. This started with the fig tree, no fruit. Just leaves. Just a good show, but no production. The tree had the missing dimension of fruitfulness. Had the show. Could look good from a distance. But there's a lack of blessing. Could it be because you're not surrendered? There's the withering dimension. Goes on to die. Withers away. When your relationship with God shrivels up, it's because you're unsurrendered. There's an area of your life, maybe multiple areas, you're not willing to surrender. And what's interesting is the disciples saw that. It's usually obvious to everyone but the person who's withering away. Like you see it. They start missing prayer. They start missing 
you know, they used to witness, they used to, you know, pay their tithe. Now that's all gone. They're withering away. Dying right in the midst, sometimes of the very reviving atmosphere if they would just surrender that they could have. Self-deception comes in this. Jesus tells of the people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Decisions that take us further away from God, not closer to Him. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord on that day will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those who, own, those who actually do the will of my Father. Jesus tells the religious, Matthew 21, 43, a little further down in this chapter, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce its proper fruits. Lieutenant Hiro Anaro was a Japanese soldier left on the island of Lubeg in the Philippine Islands in 1944 with three other soldiers. Eventually, the other three were killed or they surrendered, but for 29 years, Odinawa continued his war alone. Ignoring messages coming from the announcement of the Japanese government that they had surrendered, leaflets being poured out all over the islands of the Philippines, it wasn't until 1974 that Onard finally received, 29 years after World War II had ended, he finally surrendered. Living in the jungle. No support. Can you imagine that? I've seen it spiritually. I've watched people do that spiritually speaking. They fight God and fight God and think they're caught. And it's like, war's over, man. Just surrender. No, keep on fighting. Because they don't want God's turn. Let's talk about finally the grace is found in God's terms. Later in this temple, in this chapter, Jesus returns to the temple. He begins to teach the leading. They, they uh, demand by what authority, what right. And then he goes on to talk about two sons. He says, you know what? The problem with these two sons. One said, father came and said, you know what? You go. First one said, no, ain't going nowhere. But he eventually did. And the other one said, I'll go. And never went. The profound question is, who has the authority in your life? As one man said, Francis George, faith is not a contract. Faith is surrender. Does Jesus have the ultimate authority to set the terms of his relationship with you? The only logical 
response is to yield and allow God because that's where the blessing comes. God will even take you if you've said no in the past. That's the blessing. If you'll turn and allow God, do what is right. God will accept you. Bill Henderson writes of his own struggles of faith. He says, when I became a Christian, I thought I had surrendered myself to Christ. But really, I was giving him little pieces, a part of myself at a time, like a poker chip. Every time I gave a little bit more and I realized of myself to God and I waited for him to be impressed. I remember how scary it was when I came to the realization that I was that he wasn't going to brag on me for all those little pieces. He wanted everything there was. Because our text shows us the grace. God is allowing people to reverse their course. That's a miracle. You don't have to continue on oh, fighting God the whole way. It's like you can turn around. You can turn it around. 2018, the Miami Dolphins were in last place. 2023, they are in first. Kenny Luck wrote in his book, Every Man, Every uh, God's Man, said on uh, at 9:04 on September 2nd, 1945, upon the battleship Missouri. In Tokyo Bay, World War II officially ended. Signing on behalf of Emperor Hiroshito, the Japanese foreign minister inked his signature on the document declaring Japan's complete unconditional surrender to the Allied powers. We all know what's followed since then. With the occupational, uh, occupation aid and tutelage, Japan emerged from the ashes of Hiroshima and Nagasaki Recovering slowly, but steady. It has become one of the most productive, peaceful countries in the world, placing itself at the mercy of the prevailing powers and has allowed Japan to renew itself. But the first Japanese military and government had to completely give up, lay down its arms, and surrender with no conditions. When they did that, they're still one of the world's top five economies. And without a show of hands, how many of you have ever owned a Toyota or a Honda or a Datsun or any of those other brands that may have gone the way? See, the moment you surrender to God, God meets you. And God will bless you. God will help you. But you've got to surrender. Obey. Luke 5. Master, Simon replied, we've worked all night and didn't catch anything. But if you say so, we'll let our nets down again. And at this time, the nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Obeying God can lead to blessing, sometimes instant blessing. When you get restored back on track, clarity comes back. You can realize, you know what? I was, 
I was not thinking right. Blessing. Favor. Jonathan, I hope I say his name right, Rumi, he plays Jesus in the series, the very successful series, The Chosen. And I would add my recommendation. If you haven't seen it, it's not perfect. I wouldn't change my doctrine because of what they showed on that. But it puts flesh and it gives you the interesting understanding that, you know what, to every one of the disciples, there's a backstory that we don't know about. It's a fascinating thought. He said he, he had been living in Los Angeles for eight years, broke actor. He said there was, a, there was one day in May of 2018, I woke up. It was a Saturday morning. I had a $100 overdraft in my checking account. I had $20 in my pocket. I had enough food to last the day and no checks coming in in sight. I had no work. I had maxed out my credit cards. I literally did not know what to do. He said he knelt down and he poured his heart out to God. What happened is under the impression, he, he became an impression that God was going to help, help him. He later realized that the Lord helps those who rely on him. He had been kind of functioning on the old adage, God helps those who help themselves. But he said, I'm going to rely on God. For years my prayer was, if there is something else I should be doing, please show me what it is because this is really hard. I literally said the words, I surrender, I surrender. I realized in that moment that there were many other areas of my life that I had to surrender, but I allowed God in. And when it came to my career, I thought, I know better. I got this God. I'm an actor here. Don't worry. It's Hollywood. I know it's Hollywood God. Romy left his apartment that day and went for a walk to collect himself, buying himself a breakfast sandwich with the money he had left. Later that day, he found four checks in the mail. Three months later, Dallas Jenkins called him and offered him the role of Jesus. I surrender. That is a really, really good prayer. Lord, I surrender. And what happens? You surrender to victory. You surrender to the blessing and favor of God. You lose by keeping. You win by surrendering. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. If you're going to be baptized, I'd like you to go to the back right now. And Yanni's going to help you get you to a place where we can, you can change and, and, uh, uh, be able to get ready for that. But I want to first give a call to, to those who have come this morning. Maybe you're not right with God. Christianity isn't about the outward. It isn't about how many boxes you can click. I did this. I did that. I'm good. I did. It's about surrendering. It's about allowing Jesus Christ to become Lord of your life. My wife told me that when she was a high school student, she was backslidden. She said, she prayed the prayer many times. She would pray and say, God, forget. 
She said, I didn't mind a Savior. It was the Lord issue that I didn't want. When she finally surrendered in 1985, she became a real Christian. That's what Christianity is. Your heart surrendered to God. Not on your terms, on His. If you're here this morning, you're not right with God, you want to get your heart right. You want to say, God, I surrender. I want you to come into my heart. I'm going to give you my sin. I'm going to give you my life. You do what you can. Here's my life. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to know what it is to surrender my life to Jesus. Very quickly, slip up your hand and say, you know what? I want to get my heart right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe it was surrendered at one time and you took it back and you've done nothing but fight God and you, like the fig tree, have withered and are dying because you want God on your terms. Maybe it's fear. What will God take away? God wants to help you. He wants to bless you. Anyone at all, very quickly, you're backslidden. You're not right with God. To Christians, I surrender. Unfortunately, we can't do this just once. It's not a one and done. Because what happens is we surrender, and then we try to get it all back. We want God on our terms again. Or we want to say, I clicked this box and that box and this box. And God, you owe me. It's like, just surrender. Let God help you. We're going to stand. These altars are open. We're going to allow people time to pray, talk to God, sing a song, worship His name. Lord, we need Your grace and mercy. We need to pray like never before. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to open heaven's door. And Spirit touch your church. And stir the hearts of men and revive us, Lord, with your passion once again. I want to care for others like Jesus cares for me. Let your rain fall upon me and let your rain fall upon me. Lord, we humbly come before you. We don't deserve of you what we ask. And but we yearn to see your glory and restore this dying land. And Spirit, touch your church and stir the hearts of men and revive us, Lord, with your passion once again. I want to care for others like Jesus cares for me. Let your rain fall upon me. 
Let's give him praise. Let's worship him. Father, we love you, God. We glorify you. Lord, 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 Lord